Welcome in to the At The Yard Podcast. On today's episode, we head to the Pacific Northwest, Portland to be exact, where we're going to chat a little bit with Lewis and Clark College Head Coach Matt Kozderka. Koz, thanks for making time coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it, But How are you? I'm doing great, Les. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, it's been a long time coming. You and I have communicated a lot over the years, you know, via Twitter, via text, and Stockton players, I'm excited to to have you on here to chat Lewis and Clark baseball. But before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about your background as you know as a player, and then uh, kind of getting into coaching. You know, you, you pitched at Willamette College, uh, and, we'll, and you know that place is going to come up a lot in this conversation. But you, you pitched there, and, and you had an opportunity to be drafted by the Rangers, and and you know play some pro ball. Uh, you know, in today's kind of day and age where, you know, it seems to be this D1 or bust mentality, you know, do you use, you know, the fact that, hey, I pitched at an NAIA school and was still able to get drafted and play some pro ball and get that opportunity? Do you use that story when you're recruiting players? Oh, sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's you know, it's a little bit more difficult today with uh, fewer affiliations in, in pro baseball and also know a little bit of a uh, a shrunken down draft makes it a little bit more difficult and um, i think really what it comes down to less is uh how much work do you want to put into it you know i was a pretty average high school pitcher i threw 81 to 84 and i told people i was gonna play pro ball and everybody laughed at me and you know i went pretty crazy in the weight room was pretty obsessive with it and it was it was my passion what i wanted to do and i went for it and you know if you put the time into it and you're able to make the adjustments to get to where you need to go then it's, it's possible wherever you are i mean you're seeing all these kind of crazy stories nowadays with you know, guys maybe going to driveline or other places and, and finding opportunities. And so it really comes down to what you want to put into it, regardless of the level you're at. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's kind of like everything else in life, right? And, and baseball is no different. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so you spent, you know, three years there, there with the with the Rangers uh, in pro ball. Um, after that, you know, you, you walk away from, from professional baseball in 01 uh, kind of a couple of years there where, you know, it looks like you went back, you got a master's degree before going into coaching high school ball. Was was coaching something that you knew or, or had a feeling that you wanted to do when you were done playing baseball? Or is it something that just kind of came to you while in pro ball or maybe even in college ball? No, I think it wasn't like a lifelong passion. My wife always told me, I was, or excuse me, my mom always told me I was going to be a, a high school teacher and a coach, and I, I disagreed with her for a long time. But then Really, when I got into the collegiate level and the, the pro level, I started to realize that you know, it was an opportunity for me to do something I loved and also to give back and, and help mentor people and help them on their journeys. And so um, it really just became a natural fit for me. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to have some great opportunities. And, and uh, you know, obviously, Lewis Clark probably the best opportunity I'll ever have. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, you know, well, you spent some time at Wilsonville High School as the head coach there. And, and then, you you know, you get the – you finish as a state runner-up there in, in Oregon, and then you, you know, you're named the Class 5A Coach of the Year, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, the alma mater comes calling, right? And, and so, what was that? Was that a no-brainer for you? I, I mean, leaving, you know, a very successful program you had built up there at Wilsonville to go back to your alma mater at Willamette. Yes, I, I love my time at Wilsonville. Uh, it was a great opportunity. Uh, I, I wanted to get into college coaching right away when I got out of pro baseball, but. Uh, it's hard to get hired as a head coach when you don't have any coaching experience for such a <laughs> level. And so um, it ended up being a, a total blessing for me where I got to really kind of go cut my teeth. And, and uh, to be honest with you, I realized all the things I didn't know. 
um, that I thought I did. And uh, I got to really develop philosophies, make great relationships with some, some great kids I still have great relationships with now. And, um, you know, but I always had that, that inkling to get into the college game. And uh, really what it came down to is my wife and her job. She was an athletic trainer at a, at a college in, in here in Portland. And um, with our kids and those kind of things, it just really couldn't fit into the schedule. And she made an adjustment into the academic world, which allowed me to, to go to the collegiate level. And obviously, you know, trying to trying to get into the, the, the coaching levels, the best way to do it is probably as an assistant to try to get some experience there. And so obviously with the you know, Willamette being my alma mater and being pretty close to home where I could not have to move, it was a, it was a no-brainer definitely to take that opportunity. You, you, you know, a minute ago you said that uh, Lewis and Clark was, was you know, a, a, the best opportunity you can have. And, and in 2017, you're named the head coach there. Uh, why was Lewis and Clark such a great opportunity for you? Well, I think originally, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted an opportunity to be a head coach at, at the collegiate level. I, you know, when, when I was at Willamette, I had, I had a great time there. We were able to really help the program uh, develop into one of the perennial powers in our conference and uh, worked with a number of great young men there. Um, but I realized kind of when I turned 40 that, um, you know, it, I, I don't think it was a midlife crisis. It was, it was more of like a midlife analysis. And I, <laughs> and I asked myself, you know, hey, I'm 40. I've gotten to do some pretty cool things as a coach and as a player. And as a human, but if I died today, would I be satisfied? And my answer was no. Um, and I wanted to do some other things, but I came up with three goals of trying to be a master motivator, a master mentor. And I wanted, not in a selfish way, but I wanted as many people in my funeral as possible because I was able to have an effect on them that they wanted to come back and, and, uh, you know, pay the respects for that. So I knew that if I was going to do that, I probably needed to do it more as a head coach to have an opportunity to really kind of control how, you know, everything was done every day and really kind of put my philosophies and my ideas into place. And so, uh, there was obviously a limited amount of opportunities in this area because we didn't want to move because we love where we were at. Um, but uh, I, I've developed some relationships. Actually, the guy who gave me the head job here, Mark Petrock, is our athletic director now. And uh, he gave my wife her first job here 21 years ago. So I've known him for a long time. So it really just kind of was a, a perfect fit and the perfect timing for everything to kind of fall into place. And, uh, and like I said, I look forward to coming to work here every single day for the last four and a half years. And I look forward to hopefully the next you know, 20, 30 years if they let me stay here this long. <laughs> well, I mean, based on recent results, I mean, I'm going to have to say that, you know, that that would make sense from their part. I mean, in tw- again, 2017, you're named the head coach there. 2019, you guys finished with the best conference record um, in a long, long time there as, as runner-ups. And you talked about implementing what you know and kind of your philosophies. You know, let's dive into that a little bit because you, you've had some success there uh, at Lewis and Clark. And so when it comes to you know, teaching and, and philosophy. How would you describe your, your teaching style as a head coach? You know, that's what I think about it. I, I really like to consider myself uh, a little bit more of a life coach who uses baseball because that's what I know. And, and my goals, obviously, are, you know, we want to win baseball games. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we're really trying to win the game of life more than anything else. And, um, and I don't think in the end I'll be judged on how many games uh, are on my win and loss record. I'll be judged on what kind of quality young men we produce out of our program and and what they go on to do and, and the effect they have on this this world. And so, you know, I, I think those are things that are always in the back of my head. Uh, we're obviously trying to do as much as we can to teach the game and really advance this program. It had been a program that struggled for a long time before I got here. And we have had a little bit of success. We're obviously trying to continue to get better and climb up the rankings in our conference. But, you know, I think we've won a lot of things off the field um, and really trying to create a culture of guys who are going to be, you know, excellent baseball players, but also excellent students and also excellent people. And, and I think our program has definitely started to be one that not only at our school, but maybe around people are starting to look at as, as something they might want to try to emulate a little bit, which is, is very rewarding um, and kind of the goal of our whole program. 
you know, in your first season, uh, your team was named the Champions Team of the Year. Can you take us through what that means at Lewis and Clark College? Yeah, so within our athletic department, we have a thing called Champ Pions, and, and the PIO is capitalized, obviously, because we're the PIOs. But um, what, what the idea is, there's four basic pillars of the Champ Pions mentality, and it's um, being good in the classroom and competition with your character and in the community. And, and so every year, one team gets uh, awarded that team of the year. Um, somebody who obviously you know does well on the field, but also does well in the classroom and does well with other things, it's naturally a big goal for us. Now, we want to, like I said, excel in everything we do. We want our kids to be passionate about not just baseball, but their academics, about giving back to the community and, and, and doing community service and really trying to help as many people and be a big part of this, you know, this college, not just our baseball program as possible. Yeah, and, and you know, that same year, your team is, is the only team in your conference and only one of 80, you know, nationally to win the ABCA Team Academic Excellence Award. Uh, what was that like for you? And I mean, it's your what your first full season as the head coach to be able to achieve those things. You know, how does that motivate you moving forward in terms of, you know, hey, we're doing the right things, but at the same time, adapting and continuing to learn to get better. Uh, you know, I, I really think it's a it's a continuing process. It never really ends. And so, yes, we have been able to do very well academically. We've had a a 3.6, a 3.57, and a 3.49 team GPA the last three semesters in the middle of a pandemic, which we're very proud of. But at the same time, we know we can do better um, on the field. You know, we've, we've won more games every single year, and we've gotten better and, and created a, you know, a better overall program. But we know there's a lot more work to do. And so I think that's that's really kind of the goal for our guys. We, we, we evaluate success a little bit differently than maybe some other people do. And our definition of success is being able to look in the mirror at the end of the day and saying that you got the most out of yourself and the people around you. And you know, if you can do that every single day, then you're going to leave a pretty big legacy uh, in this world. And so um, we, we want our guys to understand, like, you know, you never really get to the mountaintop. You know, you get to the top of one mountain and there's always a bigger mountain behind it. So <laughs> we always want them to keep striving to get the most out of themselves every single day um, and not really take any time off if they can. You know, try to, you know, enjoy it, enjoy it while they can, but also always have that mission of, of trying to be their best selves every single day they have on this earth. Yeah, and and I mean, you guys are certainly well on your way to to accomplishing that. And I want to shift gears a little bit, cause and I want to talk about uh, you know your coaching staff and and you know your current roster and then recruiting, uh, you know ultimately. But let's talk about your assistant coaches. You know, and I and I look at at your your roster of assistant coaches. You, you know, you have a, a former player at Willamette. You have a, a former player from Lewis and Clark, uh, and then you have a former player from Oregon State. All obviously very familiar with the Pacific Northwest and, and, you know, not only the general area, but your conference as well, have a couple of them having played in there. But when I look at your roster, you know, I see 18 kids from the state of California and that immediately pops out to me, obviously, uh, you know, because again, as we touched on initially, you know, the, this kind of mentality of, you know, I've got to play at these schools or, you know, I, I'm not necessarily going to be successful. How important is it for you to have, a staff that not only knows that area, but I'll tell you, I mean, Eric Del Prado is, I think, in my opinion, you know, a rising star in the coaching ranks uh, just from the way he grinds and communicates with people and, and things of that nature. I mean, how important was it for you to have, the, you know, that type of roster of coaches? I think my first goal when putting together a coaching staff was uh, having people I trust, not only on the baseball field, but also to be builders of men, you know, less and. And I think all three of my, my coaches on my staff and, 
And uh, Tom Philpom, I used to be on my staff for all guys who are going to give everything they can to our guys on the field, but they're also going to make sure there's a focus on being the best they can be off the field. And not only in the way they talk and they coach, but also the way they live their own lives. Um, and so that's, that was very important to me. And obviously, you know, knowing our conference, knowing what it takes to succeed in our conference, but also knowing what it takes to, you know, to, to succeed in the Northwest, which there definitely are some more challenges here. And then also at the Division three level where, you know, the, with the academic rigor of our, of our school, it's, it's not an easy, uh, it's not an easy day-to-day schedule. So having guys who understand exactly what our guys are going through is important. Um, I think if you cannot relate to your player, you're going to have a hard time really getting them to trust you and to buy into what you're telling them. So you know, having a bunch of guys that can do that, and obviously with a guy like Coach Turpin, who um, you know had nine years of professional baseball and got us to the AAA level and won a national championship at Oregon State, you know that's definitely another big kudos to our, our staff and in, in getting our guys to buy into what they're what they're trying to tell them. And so those are definitely important things. And uh, I love our guys. Um, and, you know, I think our coaching staff is doing a great job and uh, we'll continue to get better as we keep going forward. You know, you talk about the challenges there and, you know, obviously, you know, academics are, are a big piece and can be a challenge for, for any student athlete at any school, but uh, particularly at a D3 school that emphasizes academics. How, how do you overcome those challenges and, and how important is it to not miss on prospects because of some of those challenges you face at the D3 level? Certainly, I think if you're trying to get to the top uh, of your conference, especially in our conference, what I think is probably the best Division three conference, top to bottom in the country, where if you don't bring your A game every day, you're going to get beat no matter who you're playing. And so that makes it very difficult, especially when you're trying to take a program that's been towards the bottom and try to take them to the top. So you know, finding guys who are not only going to exemplify the things you have, but can also help you get to the next level on the baseball field are, are very important. And obviously, with the academic requirements we have here at a school like Lewis Clark, it makes it difficult and really shrinks down our pool of uh, potential guys, um, you know, but that's where you really try to make sure that you're letting those recruits know what, what you're, what you're giving them outside of maybe, you know, the baseball side of things or maybe the academic side of things. And we really talk about the complete college experience here all the time. And the things that we really try to, to do for our guys uh, on and off the field uh, to make this experience exactly what they want as a college level. And I think a lot of guys who come to our school or come to this level, are guys who realize they, they really want to play baseball, but there's other things they have passion about, whether it's academics or other stuff. And so um, it's, it's, it's important to make sure you try to find the best guys you can. Um, but like I said, there are some limitations, there are some challenges, and, and you just try to make the most of it. One of the pillars of our program is control the controllables. And there's only so many things we can do, and, and we try to do the best we can every year to put together the best team and, and, um, and roster we can on the field and off the field. And you know, hopefully we're uh, continuing to get better at that every year. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on those pillars uh, because, you know, I, I ask this question of every head coach or recruiting coordinator or, or assistant coach I have on the podcast, and it's simply, you know, what are the, the pillars of your program? And, you know, either as, you know, yours as the head coach, like, hey, this is what I want to instill in our program, or this is what you're getting when you walk into our program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for us, like we, th- we mentioned, the kind of the definition of success for us, and and I think that's awesome to have those kind of things in place. But if you don't give your guys some kind of scaffolding and some steps on how to get there, then you're really kind of doing them a disservice. So we have five pillars in our program. First is OWE, which is outwork everybody. Uh, you know, obviously, as, as a player myself, it's kind of what I live by. I always was imagining somewhere that somebody was trying to work harder than me, and I wasn't going to let that happen. Um, and, and I think that carries over into life after baseball as well. If you're going to put as much time into things as, as you need to to get to be the best, then you're going to have a good chance of letting that happen. Um, you know, our second one is me over me, which I think is, 
is super important at this level, especially nowadays when lots of guys are really focused on their own individual success and, you know, doing their own training, doing their own showcasing, those kind of things. When you get to the collegiate level, it's really about trying to be part of the group to win some baseball games. And the individual stuff kind of is still there, but it needs to be within the team setting. So that's very hard to, to create that kind of culture. So it's important that we've done that. But I also think it's, it's important to have guys understand that the world's not just about them. Um, it's really a, a we situation. I think obviously this pandemic has showed us that more and more than anything else. And so uh, we want to stress that in, in, in as great as uh, abilities we can as well. And then our third pillar is pride, which stands for preparation, responsibility, integrity, and dedication every day. Um, I think uh, if you don't take pride in what you're going to do, then you're really wasting your time. And we tell our guys every time that, you know, if you're going to do anything, um, you better be worth it. It better be worth putting your signature on. It's something my father always taught me, and I think it's one of the best lessons I've ever learned. Um, we don't want to do things halfway. If you do things halfway, then you're never going to be getting the most out of yourself and the people around you. And then our fourth pillar is uh, reef or relentless energy and focus. When you play 27 in innings of baseball in a weekend, it's very challenging, especially after you come up a long week of school and practice and all those kind of things. So being able to focus when you need to, but also learning how to relax your mind so you don't wear yourself out uh, when you don't need to be locked in, is, I think is an important skill. And I think that carries over again to, you know, maybe being a parent down the road. Um, you know, I talk to our guys all the time about, going home from a long day of work and you just want to chill out and relax and maybe have kids at home and want to go and play with you or do these other things. And you have to be able to really kind of compartmentalize and be able to chill out your, your mind and then also be able to lock in when you need to, to give them the best of yourself and not the rest of yourself. And then, like I mentioned before, you know, the last one's control the controllables. Uh, you know, my career ended last, I mean, I, I probably wasn't good enough to really get farther than I did in the professional level, uh, unfortunately, but I really couldn't handle the failure, to be honest with you. And, and I think that carries over to a lot of people, not just in baseball, but in life. And so if we can teach our guys how to handle failure on the baseball field, um, then we can definitely help them learn how to do that off the field. And that can make them a better person, better husband, better father, better civil servant or leader, whatever they do with their lives. And so, again, those are just the steps that we think our guys can follow to help get to our definition of success. And hopefully, you know, if they don't have those things when they come here, they can enhance those things. Or if they already have them, they can make them better. And then hopefully by the time they leave here, they have them in place and they can use them to to really kind of get to to be their best selves every single day. You know, you you, you mentioned something there that it, that really caught my attention. That's the we over me, right? I mean, that seems to be a a very popular uh, kind of mentality, right? Us so us versus the worlds, if you will. Uh, you know, but the the we over me uh, is something I think that tends to get lost, especially in today's age, right? Where it's like you mentioned, it's, you know, kids going to, you know, whether it's going to a private coach or doing all these individual showcases or things like that. And, and how do you think um, that has changed the game uh, per se? And then, you know, how is it, what's the biggest challenge for you as a head coach to really ingrain that in your players? Definitely is a, a big difference, I think, when when I grew up where there wasn't all these opportunities to do these individual things. And so it was just about you and your your buddies that you grew up with your whole life trying to win games in high school and obviously at the collegiate level too. And and I don't I don't blame the kids at all. I think a lot of people, you know, call these kids selfish and that kind of stuff. They're trying to have an opportunity to get to what they want to do. And you can't not blame them at all mm-hmm. uh, for those things to take advantage of these situations. But I think once those things have become so prominent, it's difficult to get them back into a team mentality. And we've lost kind of the, the importance of the high school program. Um, and even in like the travel teams, like it's, you know, a lot of those guys go and play the games and it's kind of the game's over. And it's like, you know, if they win or lost, it's not that big deal. Um, and so really kind of getting people to understand like what it takes as a group to achieve something is, is difficult these days because it's not as, it's not as prominent. 
And so that that concept, I think, is very difficult and one that's very important and one that we really try to make sure that we implement as much as we can here at Lewis and Clark. Um, but it's a process. You know, and I think, you know, when uh, we'd love to have things be the same way they were when we were kids, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I'm sure our parents felt the same way about us. You, know, yeah. you have to adjust to these kids these days and and uh, try to understand where they're at and meet them where they're at. And then also, at the same time, I think, hold true to the things that you know are going to make them successful down the road. I think that's maybe one thing we made a mistake as, as coaches and as, maybe as parents and people that um, we've kind of lost our sense of what are the things that are really important to our core values. And so that's why we have our pillars in our program, and those are the things we're going to stick to no matter what. Um, and I think even though they can be adjusted and times can change, you still can have these things that are going to be important down the road. And so uh, that's kind of the challenge. You know, when, when guys are trying to do their own thing all the time, it's, you know, it's hard to get them to kind of understand that maybe they have to sacrifice a little bit of their own individual goals or, or benefits to, to maybe help somebody else. And, you know, I, I think, again, you see that all the time in today's culture now. And, and, and hopefully we can kind of get back to that mindset that, you know, like I said, this world isn't just about me. It's about us um, and trying to do the best we can to help not only us individually, but also the other people around us. When you're evaluating a player or you're, you know, actively recruiting a player, talking to a player, how big a role do the parents play in that recruitment? Because, again, you know, we're talking about a, a Division three school where, you know, it's pretty cut and dry. These are our, our restrictions or these are our, our limitations, if you will. And, and you have to, you know, essentially hit on all of your recruits. And I'm just curious, from your perspective as a head coach, when you're recruiting kids, how big a role do the parents play? You know, and, and have you ever kind of stopped recruiting a player because of a parent? You know, I can honestly say I, I don't think I've ever not recruited a kid because of a parent. Because, again, uh, you know, the kid's a separate entity. He's not, mm-hmm. his parents aren't coming to school with him. Um, sure. But I have also had a lot of red flags raised um, in those scenarios. And it's, you know, as a parent myself, you know, I see lots of times kids follow along with my examples and my kids follow kind of the, you know, the, the personal traits that I have, good or bad. Unfortunately, there's some, there's some bad ones <laughs> in there too, I'm sure. But um, you know, so I think those are things that, that parents have to be aware of. Um, you know, I, I'm always concerned when somebody sits down in my office and, and mom and dad start talking about we. Um, you know, and, and I get it, it's, it's their family, but again, this needs to be their son's uh, opportunity, their son's, you know, journey. Um, and when they're too focused on we and there's kind of that thing, then maybe that, that makes me a little bit concerned about it. So it's definitely something they have to pay attention to. Um, but it's never something I would say like, okay, yeah, for sure, I, I'm not going to take this kid. It's not, you know, as a former teacher, Les, I'll tell you, you know, you, you deal with a lot of students, you're like, man, what's wrong with this kid? And then you meet their parents and you realize that maybe it isn't their fault. And so... Um, you really have to understand that that, that, that kid is a totally separate thing. And while I don't probably have the time or really the desire to change an entire personality about somebody, um, you know, I, I think there's definitely some growing that happens at the collegiate level that you understand is gonna, it's going to take place. And, and sometimes maybe they don't have those, like I said, those perfect traits that we're looking for when they get here, but um, you can see inside that they have that ability to get there and you, and you try to want to enhance that as much as possible. So sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's not, but it's definitely something that uh, parents should be aware of in the process. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm obviously a parent, too, and it's like you. I mean, I can already see my son's eight and a half, and I can already see, okay, well, that's a trait that he got from me. And, (laughs) you know, sometimes, like you said, sometimes it's a good one, sometimes it's a bad one. But, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you can't, you know, blame the parents for, 
you know, being active and, and trying to help their children. And I understand that, but just like everything else, right, there's a line and, and sometimes that line is, is blurred, uh, if not crossed at times. But you know, let's jump into your your roster construction cause. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the 18 players from California, I, I mean, I'll get a text from you asking me about a player and it's like, holy smokes, you know, how does he know about this guy? <laughs> a, uh, you know, and, and B, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty locked in on him. So, you know, is, is California a priority for you guys? Um, you know, I don't want to say it's the number one priority. Obviously you want to win in your backyard, uh, but how big of a priority is California? And, and what do you, what have you seen from the guys that you've gotten to campus, what those guys bring to the table? Like you said, Les, uh, you know, winning your backyard is always important. But for us, we, we've—I uh, would say—we struggled in the Northwest. Uh, we have no guys from Oregon in our roster. I think only one, uh, actually two, from Washington right now. Um, in, in the Northwest, there's a little bit different mentality right now, where a lot of guys are that Division One or bust kind of guy. The guys that can really help us get better on the field. I mean, and, and a lot of those guys will, if they don't go to Division One, they'll go to a junior college instead to try to get there. And so, and again, they have to make their own choices for themselves. But I think we have to find the places that are going to be fruitful for us and you know obviously california has been a great place for us in the bay area uh, southern california down to san diego we had three guys out of san diego last year uh, you know I, I think there's there's more more kids down there uh, more opportunities for them to play baseball and, and get experience um, but i think there's also just you know more kids are maybe looking for a little bit different experience uh with the collegiate level and i think a lot of kids in northwest maybe want to get down to you know like a california for some uh for their for collegiate experience and i think a lot of kids in california maybe want something different like the northwest can offer and so you know there's a lot of factors that play into that but i think you know every d3 school on the west coast you've got to know guys from all over the place uh, you can't just sit around in your backyard maybe some of the schools in california can do that and get away with it but at least in the northwest we kind of have to know everybody on the west coast and, and so uh you know you have to kind of go like i said where, where you're going to get the best guys to help your program improve you're you're pretty active in a lot of camps throughout the summer and into the fall and into the winter. Is that your is that your kind of number one avenue for identifying players? Is the number of different camps that you attend, or either as an active coach within that camp, or just there to recruit? I think it serves a couple of different purposes. Um, definitely, the recruiting thing is number one. Uh, we've seen a lot of guys in the different showcases and camps that we go to. Uh, like you mentioned, Coach Del Prado, you know, he goes to head first and in the Stanford camps in the summertime. And we try to do as much as we can in our area. Uh, I've done a lot of the show balls and obviously that, you know, we go to the fall classic and other events that are pretty heavily attended. We, we, at the same time, we know as a small college, we have a smaller recruiting budget. So we have to make sure we get as much bang for our buck in the events we go to. And so uh, I think that's something we have to consider. But also, um, you know, it's it's the guys who are going to be potential fits for us. We try to get to as many opportunities or camps or showcases or whatever it is that there's high academic kids. Um, who maybe are going to look at the different three levels and option. And so uh, we try to do as much as we can. And obviously a lot of those events are, you know, in California in the summertime. So we spend a lot of time down there. Um, and it's, it's been helpful for us. But we, we identify guys in all different kinds of ways, you know, whether it's through video or recruiting services or you know, word of mouth from other coaches. There's lots of ways out there. And, um, you know, we, we have to try to make sure we, we explore all avenues to try to find, you know, guys that are going to be able to get into our school, number one. And hopefully uh, that can help us get better on the field and off the field as well. So if, if I'm a prospective student athlete and, you know, maybe I haven't had a conversation with you quite yet and I'm an uncommitted senior and, and you know, I what what am I looking at in terms of grades necessary, test scores necessary to even be considered a prospective student athlete by you? 
you know, like we, we can probably get students in and it's like a three, five, three, six, kind of the bottom level for us. Um, but the problem with that is that uh, the mayor's scholarship they're going to get is going to be on the lower end. And so sometimes the cost obviously is, is prohibitive for a lot of those kids. But you know, we, we probably look for guys that are three, six and above, but really I think probably like a three, a GPA all the way up to a, we've had kids like with four or five GPAs. Wow. Uh, you know, so I think we're one of the, the top academic schools in the Northwest. Uh, so that definitely makes it not only challenging, but also rewarding because a lot of our kids are, are pretty highly academic and they're, they're, they go and do some pretty awesome things, which is fun for me and rewarding for me to be around. Um, we've gone away from looking at the test scores. Uh, we actually don't consider them anymore. Uh, you can turn them in and that, that, that would look great, but it's not going to be something that's considered in your admission process. So, um, which it makes it a little bit more difficult for us because we used to be able to kind of predict like merit money based on GPA and test scores, but uh, now it's a little bit different system, but um, you know, like I said, you got to control the controls and adapt it with whatever you're you're given, and so um, it's it's based more on academic rigor than anything else. And so I think, you know, if I'm talking to a group of kids, I'm going to say, hey, number one, take as hard a classes as you can. Uh, make sure when you go into senior year, don't coast. You know, if you're in there taking, you know, late arrival and early release and teacher's aid, that's not going to look good on a college transcript or a, you know, when you're applying to school. So you want to continue to challenge yourself all the time, and we want guys who are not just going to to get to the end, like, okay, I can just kind of chill out now. We want guys who are always trying to, to better themselves. And so if they're doing that in the classroom, it definitely is a good indicator they can probably handle our school as well. Yeah, because you, you seem like, a, you know, you talked about earlier that, you know, you, you wanted to be a motivator and a mentor. Uh, and, and, you know, you wanted to have a lot of people at your funeral to kind of pay that respect. And, you know, where does that come from? Is that something that's just intrinsic? Have you always kind of been that way? Or did you have some role models along the way that, that you know, showed you that and kind of instilled that in you? And if so, who were those people? No, I think it starts with my parents, uh, like it does for a lot of people. Um, they were always people who were very giving, always trying to help people out, still are. Um, you know, and they're, they're in their 70s now and still doing as much as they can for other people. And I think that's always been something. I always had that we over me mentality, uh, you know, that's kind of built into me and um, that it wasn't just about me. It was about making sure that we did everything we could to help our team as well. And, and you know, I think that's kind of where it all started. And I think it's it's kind of been that way throughout. And I've had a number of different people in my life who have really kind of helped me out along the way. Uh, probably too many to name coaches, uh, mentors, uh, people often on the field who have really kind of shown me that um, not necessarily that, you know, that I need to give back, but through their giving of me have kind of given me the, the sense that I need to do that for other people. Um, you know, and, and so I think that's always something that's in the back of my mind is trying to make sure that again, that, you know, I'm not just leaving, you know, my mark on things. I'm really trying to leave a legacy of, you know, of good things, not just again for my own self, but so that carries on. Um, and I think that's really the important thing about the, the circle of life, right? Is that you're trying to, to carry on the things that you've learned in the past that are the good side of things and, and passing those on to somebody else so they can pass them along and keep that cycle going. So, and that's kind of where they're all started. And again, I got to give my parents mostly the credit. I've had a lot of, I'd say, great, great coaches and mentors in my time, but that's kind of where everything got, got uh, it's, it's genesis from. That starts at home, right? And, and I'm sure, I'm sure as a father, you're, you're doing those same things that, that you were taught, yeah. but you, know, you hear oftentimes coaches, you know, baseball, sports, you know, it's there's never an original idea right like hey the coach took this from this coach took it from that coach adjusted a little bit and now it's his own from a from a sheer baseball standpoint you know who who have been some of your biggest influences and and you know mentors if you will over the years 
Yeah, I think I learned about managing a game probably the most from my college coach, Dave Wong, uh, who went on to later to coach a little bit of Oregon State during their, their glory days. And and uh, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody in the time that I've been around baseball that could manage a game the way he could. Uh, really impressive, just the understanding of things that are going on, predicting, and and also like the calmness that he always had. He never really got uh, too emotional, um, good way or bad way. And so I think that's something I really adapted. You know, I've had a lot of other mentors in, the, in my years, I think, uh, guys like uh, Randy Rutschman, uh, Adley's dad, is, is probably one of the biggest influences in my life. I was probably a little bit more on the negative side, mindset-wise, going up through high school. And then I met Randy after my junior year in college when I didn't get drafted, and I was very frustrated. And he really changed my life and taught me about the power of positive thinking and kind of having the, the concept that every day is going to be the best day of your life. And, um, you know, that's obviously a challenge every day. But um, meeting Randy has really kind of done a lot of great things for me. And then uh, guys like Pat Bailey, who obviously had a lot of success at the collegiate level at uh, George Fox, Oregon State. And, uh, I think I learned a lot about coaching from him and and uh, the idea of progressions and and not only just teaching the game of baseball but teaching the game of life. And so those are probably the, some of the, the biggest ones I've had. There's a lot more that I you know I, I hate to miss, but uh, those are the three that maybe stand out right now in my mind. You talked about the power of positivity and you know every day being the best day of your life. When you got the news coming off a series win against George Fox in twenty last year. Um, that you got the news that the season was over because of COVID. How hard was it for you to stay positive and then more importantly, be that positive influence on your team? It was a huge challenge. Uh, you know, I can still vividly in my mind remember standing in front of the guys and telling them, you know, especially coming off the momentum of taking two out of three against one of the best teams in the conference where we had kind of really, I felt like, kind of gotten over that final hurdle of what it took to really be you know, a team that can succeed in this conference and having it all in. But not only that, but being able to or having to tell our, our seniors that their careers are over and uh, and that they weren't going to be able to, to do it. And uh, it was one of the toughest days probably my life, to be honest with you. Uh, not for me. Like, you know, my, my career is over. I mean, obviously it was frustrating to put all the work into it and have things derailed. But the fact that, you know, our, our guys only get so much time less. You know, they get four years of college and, and uh, I feel for all the kids that have had, you know, up here in Oregon, like high school, just didn't get to play at all. So, and then last year they played like nine games. So the seniors last year pretty much got nine games over the last two years of their high school careers. That's that's really tough. But, you know, I, I think things happen for a reason less. And, and that's what I really tried to pass on to our guys. Uh, we try to be super positive with them. We try to make sure that we refocus their mindset right away. Um, I know they were disappointed, but we try to make sure that they were locked in in the classroom. They all got sent home, which was tough for them. They had to do class online for the first time in their life. So we just try to really refocus them and on what the things they could control. Um, and obviously, you know, like I said, we, we put together the best team GPA we've ever had in this program. It was a 3-6, which is unbelievable and, uh, you know, a testament to our guys. But I think, you know, there's going to be things that can go wrong, uh, whether it's in a baseball game or whether it's in life. And, again, if you can control the controllables and you can follow the pillars of our program, I think you can pretty, pretty much have a good opportunity to, to lead people through that. And that's what we've tried to exemplify for our guys, not only myself, but all of our coaching staff. Um, and I, I think that was huge in, in helping our guys get through it, but also um, helping them stay motivated through such a tough time. So as tough as that day was, how awesome was the day when they were allowed to come back? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would hope that every single one of our guys, not just in our program, but everybody who plays baseball, um, would never take for granted, again, the opportunity that they get to play every day. Um, and, and I used to remark to my wife, you know, during the whole 
kind of COVID shutdown is that, you know, it was, it was actually a great time in life for me. I'm, I'm more of an introverted guy. So I got to spend a lot of time being introspective and, and, uh, you know, kind of really evaluating things. And so I actually didn't mind the social distancing thing. I, I was joking with people about it. I've been social distancing for 35 years, so it wasn't that big a deal for me. But, um, you know, but at the same time, I, like, I hope our guys understand, like, what was taken away from them and that it could happen anytime again and that they, they should never have a day that they don't appreciate being out there. Uh, like I said, there has not been a single day that I have not come to Lewis and Clark and, or that I've come to Lewis and Clark and not wanted to be here. Um, and so I hope our guys have that, that same kind of feeling about baseball. Uh, I know there's going to be the grinds and those kind of things. And I know we've kind of gotten back to a little bit more of our normal rat race life, but um, I hope there's always that mindset. We try to remind our guys that on a regular basis about what it was like to, to lose this game and, and to something they love. And so, uh, but it was pretty awesome to be able to have them back out there again. And, and uh, you know, there's obviously some days that don't go as well as others, but just being out there with them every single day brings me joy every single, every, every single option I get. You talk about being a little introspective and, and, you know, having that opportunity to reflect during the shutdown. And, you know, how did that, you know, if at all, make you a better coach after kind of doing a um, presumably, you know, self-evaluation, evaluation of your program, things of that nature? How did the shutdown make you a better coach? It's a good question, I think. You know, like I said, I have my individual goals. I want to be a master mentor and motivator and those kind of things. But I think, like I said, the, the, the day-to-day, the craziness, especially being a small college coach, even though I have a, you know, a great full-time assistant and coach Del Prado to help me out, it's, it can get pretty boggling. You know? And I think maybe sometimes you can lose the, the importance of the relationships you develop with your players, not just as baseball players, but as people. And so it uh, gave me an opportunity to kind of slow down and really kind of really con- reconnect with our guys. Um, and also remind myself of what my what my mission is as a coach, right? Uh, not just to you know to try to do the everyday minutia and try to to win baseball games. It's really to try to develop great people and give them a great experience. And so it, it allowed me to do that a little bit. And uh, we actually took our coaching staff. We had five coaches at the time, and and every single day during the shutdown uh, uh, of the school year that was remaining, we we had one of our coaches film a video of some kind of life lesson. Um, and we sent it to our guys every single day. We just wanted to make sure that they weren't missing out on the things that we would talk about in practice every day. And so it really kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of refocus on, on what I was you know, trying to accomplish as a coach. Um, and so that I've, I'm very grateful for that, even though it was a very difficult and tough way to do it. Um, I think it's allowed me to, to be a, a better coach, be, to be a better mentor, because I'm, I'm more interested in my, my time with our guys, um, whether it relates to winning baseball games or not. Um, but helping them and, and really showing them that I care about them by, you know, investing in them and, and not just having those superficial conversations you have every day at practice, like, hey, how's it going? But really starting to get to know them and their families and, and their struggles and, and really trying to help them through it. And I think it's made our, our team much tighter. I think it's made our guys a little more vulnerable, a little more open. And um, I'm looking forward to see that continue to expand over the next couple of years. So if we look ahead to the spring of, of 2022, what are you most excited about with your with your team heading into this next season? Well, it's definitely after the fall, uh, we've, we've gotten to see that our, our guys have a great mentality, uh, not only on the field of, of wanting to compete, but also of wanting to get better. And, and we just got through our fall exit meetings and being able to have conversations with every single one of our guys and to see the, you know, the passion that they have to really get better this offseason uh, and, and in different ways, whether it's in their weight room or whether it's on the field and their skill set. is I'm super excited to see that all kind of play together. And every year we've gotten a little bit better. Uh, we've definitely not gotten to where we want to in, with our program, but uh, I think every year we've gotten better, and I think every year we've gotten guys who are a little bit more focused on putting in the time and, and the effort that it takes to really get this program to the next level. And 
And uh, I, I think at the same time, you know, Les, this is the first time that I've had all the guys uh, in our program that I recruited myself. And so um, it's, it's been fun to kind of see the progression of our program to really have more guys who are already kind of ingrained in the pillars before they even got here. Um, and to see kind of how our philosophies and their personal skill set that as people and as players can really kind of uh, mix together and really kind of take our program up to the next level. So I'm really excited to see how that, that kind of fusion of everything uh, takes place when we get back in January. And so what does what the schedule look like for, for Lewis and Clark? I mean, take us through what a typical Division three schedule looks like. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it, the number of games, the tournaments, that sort of thing. Yeah, so we get 40 games uh, every spring. Um, obviously, being up in the Northwest, we, and we start our season pretty early. We, we have our practices start usually right after MLK Day, and so we get sometimes two and a half weeks, and then we're playing our first game, which is pretty crazy. Um, but it, it's the way it is, and uh, we usually head down to California uh, early in the season. Obviously, the weather's a little bit better, better down there in February, and uh, I also love the opportunity to travel with our team. I think it really has a great uh, positive effect on our team chemistry because when you're all together and and one kind of you know, confined space that makes guys definitely bond a little bit more. Uh, so we'll be headed down there. Uh, we go down there twice this year uh, to open our season, two weekends in a row. Um, and then uh, our conference season starts usually kind of the, the last weekend of February. So we're kind of rocking and rolling amongst our conference teams. We play a three-game series every weekend, um, two games on Saturday and one on Sunday. So it's a, it's a long, grinding weekend. Um, and the best teams are the teams that can you know handle that grind and all that that uh, that need to be focused and locked in every single every single pitch. So. Uh, that's kind of how it looks like. If, if you finish in the top four in our conference after the season is over, uh, you get to go to the conference tournament. Whoever wins the conference tournament gets to go to the regional and so forth. And so and one of our goals is always, you know, to get to that that top four. Uh, you know, we talk about um, a thing in our program called For Each Other, which is spelled F-O-U-R and then each other. So we always want to play for each other. We always want to be there for it. But the goal is to help us get to the top four um, and have a chance to kind of go to the next level. And so that's where we're trying to get to. And I think everybody in our conference is trying to do that as well. Yeah, that, that's awesome, Cos. Well, I, you know, I certainly think that you guys are definitely on the right path and with you at the helm there. I mean, this was an awesome conversation. And, and again, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on here and talking about Lewis and Clark baseball and your background and, uh, you know, kind of an introduction to who you are as a man as well. I think that's equally as important, if not more important than anything that, that is accomplished on the baseball field. So again, uh, thank you very much for making some time to, to hop on here and chat with me. Appreciate it, Les. You've always been a great resource for us and, uh, and doing great things for a lot of kids down there, so keep up the great work. Awesome. Appreciate you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. I'd like to thank Lewis and Clark College head coach Matt Kozderka for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out PrepBaseballReport.com for all your news, ranking, and event information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard. <laughs>